Despite the will, my Karen aunt thinks that my parents' property belongs to her. This happened almost five years ago, and I just got noticed yesterday that my entitled aunt Karen just died, and I got a call from her husband asking me to attend the funeral next weekend, and I declined, as did my older brother Mark. Karen was my mother's oldest sister and constantly interfered in my mother and her children's lives. She never liked my father and always tried to tell my mother that she made a mistake by marrying him. She didn't like the name that my parents picked out for my older brother and my great-grandmother died the day before I was born. When Karen found out they were going to name me after her, Karen freaked out and said she wanted to name her potential future kid that same name so my mother couldn't use it. Then she tried to talk her out of it saying it's too old-fashioned and kids would make fun of me, which they did but for other reasons. She criticized that both my brothers and my choice of friends and even complained when I started playing softball because proper ladies didn't play sports and if her daughter ever tried playing a sport she would have her removed from the team spoiler alert she never had children the day after my 16th birthday my parents drove on a business trip down to california i live in idaho my dad said that when they got back they would drive me to the dmv and get my license he never did because on that drive to california they hit a patch of ice spun out crashed and died i was a wreck for some time after that i didn't even want to attend my high school graduation later because my parents wouldn't be there their will split everything evenly between my brother and i at my parents funeral. There was a guy named Tim, the production manager that worked with my parents. He was talking to my brother and my brother told him that in a couple of weeks he would step in and take over and he was counting on Tim to run my parents' business smoothly until then and help him in taking it over and learning the ropes. I had no interest in being in the business other than it was a guaranteed summer job when I was growing up. So I stayed out of it and I just collected profit checks until I sold my half to Mark and he continues to run the business to this day. My brother Mark told Tim that he should assure the employees that their jobs are safe and that no major changes are going to be made. Then one day, my aunt's Karen shows up and began putting her stuff in my parents' office. And when Tim confronted her about this, she said his services were no longer needed and that he was fired. Tim called Mark up and Mark went down with the family attorney, some police officers, and the necessary paperwork and had my aunt Karen removed. While she said the place was now hers because it was her sister's, so that now she was the owner. As long as I've known her, she has never once had a steady job but she has had three husbands and milked each one of them for as much money as she could get from each of them until she divorced them the next day i was leaving for school i walked it was fairly close about 10 minutes and i saw her car and a moving van parked outside she said she was moving into her house and then said in a sickly sweet voice she would continue to allow me to stay there until I graduated high school. I went in and called my brother and he again showed up with the family attorney the police and all the paperwork and had her removed from the property I was at school so I didn't get to see what happened but that night Mark gave me a business card for a policeman who I assumed helped deal with all of this and told me that if I ever saw our aunt Karen on or near our property to call that number and report her immediately. Do not even try to confront her or give her a warning. Just call. I do know that the movers charged her to move her stuff into the van, drive across town, get turned away, and drive back across town and move her stuff back into her apartment, which she hadn't given notice yet. So I got scared to the point that I didn't like letting our dog into the backyard when I was at school. I used to put her out 
in the yard to let her play in the fenced backyard while I was in school. But for a while, I just put her in the locked and closed garage and then cleaned up her messes when I got home in the afternoon. Eventually, Karen moved to Colorado where I assumed she met and married the man who called me and said that she had died and he couldn't find anyone from her family to attend the funeral. I chose not to tell him about her. I politely said, I'm sorry for your loss but I can't make it. From discussions with my brother Mark, he basically told that guy the same thing. Outside of myself, Mark, and Mark's infant daughter, I don't think she has any living relatives anyway. I still own the house. Mark gave me his half as a part of the deal where I sold him my half of the business, but... I still sleep in my bedroom. I refuse to move into the room that was once my parents' bedroom, the master bedroom. I go to the local university, go Broncos, and still miss my parents and think about them every day. And even though I'm 20 years old now, I'm almost 21 in less than two weeks, I own a large home and I have a lot of money in the bank, I would trade it all to have my parents back. But... I don't care about the how or the why of my Aunt Karen's death. One of the sad parts of this story is that, as the OP clearly spelled out at the very end of it, he would trade everything to have his parents back, and not one time is it mentioned that the aunt is trying to reach out to see how he's doing or to help him in any way. She's just trying to take advantage of the situation to the fullest extent. I mean, she also lost a family member, but it doesn't really seem like it's phased her at all, or at least hasn't slowed her down in her path to just try and acquire as many assets from her younger sister as possible. I mean, her younger sister is now dead, and all she can think about is trying to get all the assets as fast as she can. The fact that she would go in and fire one of the people that work for the parents' business and then try and take over the house is just wild. I bet you that actually does probably work in some cases, where nobody contests it, and then they just assume ownership over time, and then it officially becomes comes legal later on down the line. Really, it seems like a case of taking advantage of somebody grieving hoping that they won't be put together enough to know what's going on and you'll be able to just make it out the other side. Seeing stuff like this happen within families is obviously pretty sad, but it seems like it's actually more common than it might seem. And I'm assuming after a lifetime of the Karen aunt behaving like this, eventually it all boils down to the point where they can't even find one person to show up for her funeral, which, ugh. You don't have to be popular to be a good person, but you also don't have to be popular to have one single person care enough to go to your funeral. So if this was you and your parents were the ones that died and you had a Karen aunt that tried to forcefully overtake their property, how would you handle it? Let me know down below. My ex-wife got a restraining order on me and then years later moved into my same apartment complex and told me I had to move even though I had already been living there. My ex-wife and I had a rocky marriage. My alcoholism didn't help. She pushed for a divorce. We lived together during this divorce and one day I found out she was dating another man. I snapped and I struck her pretty hard. I was charged with assault. I spent three months in jail. I went to anger management and I was also issued a three-year restraining order. That was two years ago. I have since sobered up. I met a wonderful woman and moved to a completely different apartment complex in a completely different part of the city and never had any further contact with my ex-wife. I admit what I did was wrong. I paid the price. I've reestablished myself. My current woman, who I've been in a relationship with for two years, is aware of this background, which makes things slightly easier. Well, unknown to me, my ex moved into my apartment complex about five months ago with her new husband, who had always lived here. I just didn't know this. I saw her in the lobby right before New Year's. She greeted me. I turned shocked and said hello. She asked me what I was doing in the lobby. 
I said I was just coming in from work and she told me that the restraining order is still in effect and I need to move out. I tried to reason with her and I told her I'd be happy to steer clear of her. I know we don't live on the same floor. I don't even know what floor she lives on. I don't care to know. I told her if I saw her on an elevator, I wouldn't get in and I would just wait for the next one. She told me that she was going to enforce the restraining order on me. My partner and I literally just signed a brand new two-year lease six months ago. We love the place we're in and wouldn't want to move. And it just feels unjust having to move slash incur financial hardship because the person I had a restraining order against moved into my apartment complex. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because last night the building management was informed of the restraining order and told us that we need to figure this out. Would she really be able to force me out of my home even though I lived here before her? As long as I do my best to avoid any contact with her, which I'm perfectly fine doing, shouldn't that be sufficient? I work a really early schedule and the fact is she was dating this guy and coming over to this apartment complex for the entire time I've been here and we haven't crossed paths. And she's been living here full time for five months and we just now cross paths. I'm not sure what to do. And by the way, this is in New York City. Fast forwarding to see what happens, the New York public defender that represented me was no longer practicing in the New York City area, but I retained a lawyer who was a friend of a friend who had experience in this area. My lawyer got references from my PO, employer, and AA sponsor. Our goal was to get the restraining order modified to a simple no contact order with no distance requirements so I could continue living with my partner. I spoke to the judge and told him my story, what I had done to correct my past transgressions. He reviewed my record and we submitted our references. During this time period, I was crashing on a friend's couch as to not violate my prospective order. So here are the three things that happened. My PO, probation officer, said that I had paid my fines, followed all the rules, and never once had to be reminded of my restrictions and so forth, and said he was impressed with my turnaround. Number two, my employer said I was always early, never seemed to be under the influence or hung over from anything. And even at our company functions, I was very open and honest about my sobriety and I did not partake in any drink. Lastly, number three, my AA sponsor, Alcoholics Anonymous, said good things about me too how he was impressed with my maturity and my openness on alcoholism and addiction. Then the judge asked my ex-wife to speak. My ex-wife said she was shocked by my turnaround. She said that it seemed unfair to her to require me to move because she moved into my building unknowingly and that she no longer felt threatened by me. This was a shock to both my lawyer and I as I expected my ex to want to keep the protective order in place. The judge said that he wouldn't modify the protective order but lift it entirely as he felt that it had served its purpose and that based on my references, my testimony, and most importantly, the testimony of my ex, that he didn't see how keeping it in place was benefiting anyone anymore. He did tell my ex that if she ever felt threatened or in danger because of something I said or did, she could contact the police. The judge then told me his main reason for lifting the order was to allow me to live in my current apartment, but advised it was a good idea to avoid contact with my ex to avoid any potential complications down the road. He reminded me because of my past, it wouldn't take much to get another protective order put in place. I told the judge I had no intention of talking slash contacting my ex and that I was thrilled that I don't have to move and get away to stay with my current girlfriend. So over the course of this weekend, I moved back into my apartment with my girlfriend. I'm just glad that this was resolved. I did not expect the ex to change her mind between the two parts of the story. In the first half, she's the one who told him that he had to leave. And in the second half, 
I guess they get all the way to court and then she reveals that he doesn't have to leave. If that was the conclusion that she came to, I wonder why she didn't bring that up before they all went to court. From what I remember, I think that if you do have some sort of restraining order or protective order like they have here, you do have to live by it even if you are the one who created it. Otherwise, it loses its credibility or power. I'm not 100% sure, but I know people have talked about that anecdotally in the past. Maybe some of you guys I know a little bit better can let me know how that works down below when it comes to restraining orders, protective orders, all of that. This is kind of an unusual situation because what are the odds that she would move into the exact same apartment complex in a totally different part of town as the OP? That's a pretty wild coincidence. But if you were in this situation as the person who created this protective order, what would you have done? Would you have tried to force the OP to move out or would you let him stay there? Let me know down below. Am I the jerk for turning in a school project that showed my neighborhood and my neighbors in a bad light? I'm a high school student in a Spanish class and we had an assignment to make a video tour of a place. It had to be in Spanish and it had to be conversational like you were showing a friend around. I decided to just walk around my street and make a tour of that because my family wasn't going anywhere else. So I filmed a neighbor's house and when I walked by they were having a screaming fight like usual. I said, here are the neighbors. They're very angry. They like to yell in the morning, afternoon and the night. The next neighbor's house I said, Joe and Tammy live here. They are very nice and they have three dogs. Someone drove by and cat calls me profanely. As a joke I yelled back, estupido perro, which means stupid dog. Then he slammed his brakes and yelled something racist before speeding off. I said to the camera, this man is very stupid. He is a man, but acts like a dog. An edit was added to clarify something saying, I'm white, but I think this idiot in the car assumed that I was Hispanic because I was speaking Spanish. A lot of people in the responses are talking about my experiences as a person of color and I just want to clear up that I'm not and do not want to speak for the people who actually experience this kind of stuff regularly because one rude comment is nothing like having those kinds of experiences all your life. So going back to the story, in the video I also introduced 10 other mundane things like flowers, a bird, etc. I cut out the long sequences of me walking but I left everything else. My teacher had a rubric of the types of descriptions and numbers of things you needed and taking any out would lose me points. It was too dark outside to film more. The second part of the assignment was to upload the video on the school's website and post comments back and forth responding to several of your classmates' videos. One of my friends from class recognized the racist guy as someone who volunteers with the middle school soccer team. So she texted me like, Haha, should I say something? And I said, sure. So she posted in Spanish and said, in the car is Mr. Jones who coaches the children. I learned from your video that he hates females and is racist. I replied to say, does he teach the girls or the boys? And she replied back, both. I replied to her and said, that is terrible. A guy in my class made a comment like, the man yelled at his family as a police officer. He is always a very angry man. I replied back to say, that is scary. The next day at school, my teacher wanted to talk to me alone. She told me that my video was inappropriate and I shouldn't have filmed the neighbors or the coach. I said the assignment was literally to walk around a place you're familiar with and react like you're going to have a conversation with a friend. And that is how it goes when I walk outside with my friends. My teacher said that I was being belligerent on purpose and that I should have known that stuff has to be dealt with delicately. I said I just don't agree. It's life and there's no point in pretending that that's not happening. She said she'd taken the video down and it was the sort of thing that should be brought to the authorities instead of posted for the whole class. And I said I didn't even know who the guy in the car was and who was I going to call about the cops. I have a meeting with the principal coming up tomorrow. So am I the jerk for having posted that video for the Spanish class? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 
Six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. There's more information from the future after this meeting happened. So I had the meeting this morning. I think it went well. I have study hall now, so I have a little time to write an update. So last night I did a bunch of preparation. Before the meeting, I emailed the video to the elementary school principal, the guidance counselor, and a few parents I know with kids on the sports team to say their coach yelled explicit and hateful things at me, a student in the school system. I wanted to get out ahead and make sure the video was out there before the school might pressure me to delete it. Then I backed up the video to multiple places. I asked a teacher I trust to sit in on this meeting and have it be recorded and sent to all the participants afterwards. We scheduled it for just before the school day started on Zoom so I wouldn't miss any class. I decided to write up a list of things I wanted to discuss in the meeting and share it with my favorite teacher in advance so she could help me address those questions. And for the actual meeting, I decided I'd just go into it acting as if they would obviously do the right thing and ask for help. I was hoping having a teacher on my side and the meeting on video would pressure them to help. I thought if I approached it from an, well, obviously you're going to take this seriously perspective and had it on video, it would put them in a tough spot to have to contradict me. So I called in, everyone said good morning, and the principal asked if I knew why I had been called in this morning. I just started out by saying, yes, I assume it's about, insert the kid's coach's name, thank you so much for calling this meeting with me this morning. I really appreciate how proactive you are about addressing the harassment I received from a staff member. I understand this is a mandated reporting state. I wanted to ask if there was any information you will need to add to your report. The principal seemed caught off guard and said that a report had not been filed yet. I said, well, as I understand it, there is a 48-hour time frame to file a report. I understand making you aware of this right before the weekend might have complicated things. Perhaps there was a miscommunication about the severity of the events, but I was approached in a car and explicitly harassed and threatened by a man who works with other minors in the public school system. As soon as I said that, the tone of the meeting completely changed. The meeting also had a school guidance counselor on it, and I could tell she understood how serious what I was saying was, especially because I was politely calling out that they were already past the legal deadline and that they should have filed a report by now. She actually took over and the principal didn't participate as much. I also tried to smooth things over somewhat by saying that I was sorry I brought this to their attention in a school project instead of asking for a meeting with the principal directly. I should have reached out for help. So that's over. I'm still kind of freaking out over how big of a deal it turned out to be. Also, I wanted to say thanks to everyone who had great suggestions for helping me approach this, like having an adult to back me up, getting the meeting on record and knowing about the mandatory reporting. So, knowing everything you know, was I the jerk? The OP executed this perfectly. It's sad that the coach thinks it's normal or that it's okay to just drive around and scream at people on the street. And even more than just screaming at her, he was catcalling her. She's a high school girl and he is the coach at one of the schools. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up losing his job because of this, especially since it's on video. People can clearly identify who it is and now the whole reporting process has been not only started but taken very seriously given the context of what happened at the end of the story. It's pretty wild that a few responses from the comments totally flipped the power dynamic of this entire situation on its head. As the OP points out, learning how to approach this by having an adult to back her up, getting the meeting on record and knowing about the mandatory reporting totally changed the tide of how this thing was going to play out. But if you were in this situation, how would you have handled it and jerk or not a jerk and why? When you subscribe, 
make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications. To finish listening to all the stories in this series, use the playlist at the top of the description. And next time you live stream, use the cream of the crop music. Search for cream of the stream on Spotify or whatever music platform you use for copyright free music to use for your stream. It's free cream of the stream. Either way, thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you guys next time.